0: Please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading this book will make you dangerous. And now, let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is Men's Coach Trip Lemire. What would your buddies think about you if they knew other men were sleeping with your wife? Are you only valuable if you're working hard? And do you only do the things that you know you can do well? Aubrey Marcus has had business success while also being outspoken in areas that challenge the ways that most people think. Today we're going to talk about lessons he's learned from open relationships, rituals with plant medicines, and how we can find true strength when we stop defending our egos.
1: Welcome to The New Man. Today, we're talking with Aubrey Marcus. He's the founder and CEO of On It. He's also the host of the Aubrey Marcus podcast. He's got a new book called Own the Day, Own Your Life. Uh, and you can learn more about that at ownthedaybook.com. Thanks so much for talking today. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. Um, this book, I, I want to dive into that at, at, at a later point. But first off, I've got this question. What is total human optimization I've been in this game for a long time and and
2: this sounds bold. So what is total human optimization? It's really the idea that you can't just focus on one thing and live an optimized life. Like you can't just take supplements. You can't just focus on one aspect of your diet. You can't just train in the gym. You can't, you know, just focus on meditation. You got to really to live a fully, completely, fully expressed life you got to focus on all of the elements and bring all of the elements up with you. And that's the idea of total human optimization is to have a more well-rounded, holistic approach uh, to personal growth.
1: So that makes me curious. At what point in your life did you have this thing like, oh, yeah, it can't just be about this one part? Or like, can you walk us through your personal story? How did you arrive at total
2: human optimization? Uh, Through a lot of failure and, (laughs) and screwing up and and suffering in certain ways, you know, I mean, um, I could be killing it in the gym and just at the peak of my physical performance, but then not paying attention to my rest. And then I'd get sick and then I would drop my physical performance. You know, you just lose, you get these countless lessons or I could, um, everything else could be going good, but I haven't been focusing on my mindfulness and meditation and other, you know, avenues that I use to get in touch with my spiritual self and everything starts to, you know, all these foundations that I've built physically start to collapse through my own emotional upheavals and issues and and just realizing that I have to work in balance for me because I will, I will get, you know, really in a rough patch if, if I don't. And I think a lot of people are the same way. You know, we need to support all the different systems that we have in order to, to really feel balanced and feel stable.
1: I I think it's also this kind of photoshopped life. This this things are so out of balance in terms of how we're perceiving others. We see somebody on a pedestal. They've got a, a medal around their neck or a trophy in their hand or the nice car, and we assume that somehow that that success means they've got all the rest of their shit in their life that's that's worked out and on par. And usually, it's at least with a lot of people that I've worked with, they're they're a shit show underneath that <laughs> one. They've they've been able to do that one thing really well, and then yeah. they they really haven't been able to handle. Whether it's being a family person or having relationships, period, or whatever, they're really out of balance in that way. I, you surround yourself with high performers and that kind of thing. Is is that common in in some of the people that you that you've seen?
2: I mean, some of the the greatest performers are are really driven by you know, some demons, some things that they're trying to prove to themselves, some things they're maybe trying to prove to their parents, some things they they feel inadequate about, and then they really hyper-focus, like you said, on one aspect. Maybe it's wealth, maybe it's success, maybe it's, you know, physical dominance. Um, and you see that quite commonly. And then you also see the, the champions that are more well-rounded, that have taken this other path to leveling everything up and you know, those individuals, people like Bodie Miller, who I talk about all the time, like those people are, are the ones that are truly the, the most inspiring to me, not the people who can just fold everything. Like, you know, when you're playing Monopoly and you got all those properties and you get one Monopoly and you fold everything and, and you, you mortgage it all and you build the hotels like a lot of people are good at that. Just building hotels on one property of of what their accomplishments are. But not a lot of people can elevate the entire game board and own the game. And, uh, you know, really, that's what I'm trying to help people get to in the book is not just having one monopoly, but owning the game.
1: I think there's also an evolution to the game, which is once we get into our 30s and 40s, we're no longer playing the game of the guy in in his 20s. It's not enough to just keep building more and more and more of this one particular silo in our life that uh, is a lot of guys that if if I'm talking to them, I I ran into this, too. It's like now what I I know how to do this one thing. So now what the hell am I doing now? I can't I don't want to keep doing this thing for the next 20 years. You yeah, know, why am I doing it? Yeah, there's a terrifying moment, though, of like, well, who am I if I'm not doing this? Will, mm-hmm. I, will I ever be enough if I, if I were to change lanes and go into a different route? So I, I love that you're advocating this, this system of like, hey, look, there's more to life. There's an integrated or an integral or holistic way to look at our lives instead of just this one thing defines me and whether I'm lovable or enough.
2: Yeah. Anything that you use externally to validate who you are is inherently a very risky, <laughs> risky place to put your validation. It's you know, the only safe place to put it is internally. Yeah, And because, you know, fortune has her way of challenging all of these external points of validation and taking them away from you, at least temporarily and challenging them. And, and you'll always be afraid. So, you know, really understanding who you are on a deep internal level and knowing that that's enough. You know, that's the that's a foundation to build from.
0: I, I-
1: I've see this evolution happening, um, and it's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Because fifteen plus years ago, if I when I told somebody I was going on a meditation retreat, they looked at me like I had a dick growing out of my ear. So it was, <laughs> there was this, I mean, it, there really was this thing. But there was the, also this mindset, you know, when we started the New Man ten plus years ago, it was like, oh, you know, that stuff's for pansies. Growth, this stuff, you know, just give me another beer, and I'm going to go put in another. 20-hour workday and get it done. Something is shifting in the culture with men and success to have more of an integrated lifestyle and more of an integrated work style. What do you think's bringing that about? You're 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 leading that charge in a lot of ways. What do you think is 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 making it safer for guys to say, you know what, I don't have to do it like those quote tough guys did in the 70s and 80s.
2: Well, I think because those tough guys are tortured, you know, <laughs> they're dead. And, and they're and killing like, themselves. It, they're tortured. And and I think we've all just kind of sucked up the torture and just been like, well, if everybody around me is tortured, then I guess torture is just life. You know, life is suffering, you know, to a certain degree. At least I'm doing this. At least I'm, prote- you know, providing for my family. And I think there was this kind of real Spartan ethos, this kind of, uh, austerity of well it doesn't matter what happens to me it doesn't matter how much pain I endure as long as I'm providing for my family I'm doing my job as a man and I think now we're realizing like okay well can I provide for my family can I push my work out in the world but can I enjoy myself can life be pleasurable can this be heaven and not hell and can I accomplish that and I think that's the realization that people are seeing and as more people are able to do it where they're having these balanced lives, where they're crushing it in their profession, they're crushing it in their personal life, and they're really enjoying themselves and that's possible, then people are like, oh shit, I want that too. And they're not antagonistic. You don't have to sacrifice one for the other. You can do all of it at the same time. And I I really think that's our birthright and I think that's what people are figuring out.
1: I think think you're right on and I I it's such an old scripted way of doing things and it, it is leading to destruction of men. It's leading them to alcoholism. It's leading them to all kinds of things where they yep. miss out on being with their kids. If they go, to, you know, there's a, there's an identity of I have to be a certain way I, I have to suffer in order for it. Yeah. It's it, somehow suffering is this trophy for them. It's this thing they hold up and say, uh, you know, if I had joined it, I must've been doing it wrong.
2: Um, in a way it's, it's a noble virtue in some ways it's, it's there, it's a man's gift to those he loves and himself, his ego. But, you know, and and I see the kind of nobility in the martyrdom of it, you know, I'll just work to death for those I love because I'm not expressing my love in any other way. Like, I think we have a fundamental desire to express love. And I think it's just gotten misguided where men haven't been able to actually open their hearts and actually show love. So they show love through their penance you know, and their sacrifice in their jobs and show love through providing. Um, and that is a form of love, but it's, there's also other forms of love, which is just, you know, looking at the people you love with tears of joy in your eye and be like, God, I'm so lucky to be on this fucking planet with you. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> another form, too. It and is. That's a, that's a beautiful form as well. So I think blending both is, is you know, what a, what a full, true man in, in our age should, uh, should aspire to be.
1: I, am glad you brought it. Love gets this dirty word. It's, it becomes this dirty word. It's like, Oh my God, I can't say that. And even with friends that I have, Hey, I love you. And there's this thing like you can see I'm like kind of,
0: Oh,
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> <I really> do I <laughs> do? And, uh, even though I know the love is there, but there is this, uh, what I'm getting from what you're saying is that if we have an inability to express love, then we find all these really, I'm going to use the word expensive, really expensive ways in terms of time and energy because uh, we still want to express it, but it's just, it, we can't just sit down and be like, I love you. And it would devastate me if you died. And I I really want yeah, you in my life. And that yeah. kind of thing, I don't have to go through all these hoops and cra- all this craziness to, sure. to be able to express it.
2: Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it feels safer for a man to kill himself in work and do that than actually have the vulnerability to express their love and may, you know, maybe not have that love return. I mean, I think that's part of the fear, right? I think, we learn that as kids in this kind of conditional love paradigm of our world where, you know, kids full of love and at a certain point for whatever reason we do something wrong and our parents shut off that love and and, and then we go, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm only worthy of love in these certain circumstances. And so we build this fear response and we protect ourselves and that gets hardened and hardened and hardened over time. And with men, you know, it's so based on performance. You know, I think Nine out of 10 men that I talk about, like their father loved them more when they played a good game or they did good in school. And, and it's it, maybe not at the final fundamental core of love, but in the, in the way that love was expressed, you know, you're loved if you do well. So that teaches you, okay, I'm worthy of love when I kick ass. And when I'm not kicking ass, I'm not worthy of love. And I'm internalized, Internalize. I'm nothing. Yeah. So we internalize yeah. that. And if we don't feel we're worthy of love, we won't give it to ourselves. And then then we're in a whole heap of trouble.
1: (laughs) A big part of the thing that we struggle is who am I or what will they think of me if I were to really own who I am, if I were to really say that I'm interested Mm -hmm. in these types of things. You've been really outspoken about some of the things you've been into, whether it's been plant medicine, uh, open relationships. I I was surprised to even see nicotine mentioned in the book. Uh, So there's there's these pieces like, I can't do that and be successful. I've got to fit in. I can't let my freak flag fly or else I'll be broke. I'll have to be sucking dicks at the bus station and <laughs> living, or whatever. It's just like, it's, it gets, just gets dark, right? If I would to really, if you would really know me and you would really know what I was into, it would, it would blow everything up. And you've built, uh, from the outside, it looks like you built a, an amazing life and business and been able to have some values that are outside of the mainstream. They don't seem rebellious to me. It's not like, fuck you. And I'm going to do it my way and show you. It doesn't have that quality. It's like, this is what I'm into. I'm, i I have these spiritual practices. I have these beliefs about relationships and, and, and these types of medicines and that kind of thing. What are you learning? About? Did you have to overcome that? What will they think of me thing? Or was that, was that ever a, 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 yeah, a challenge I mean, for you?
2: Certainly when I first started talking about ayahuasca and plant medicines, you know, I would get, you know, five, 10% of the comments would be, fucking druggy, you know shut up you hippie you know like just ignorant comments like that and then you know as time has proven out and the scientific literature has proven out the benefit of these things you get that less you know but now i talk about open relationship and people like oh you fucking cuck you know you like it when somebody fucks your girl you pussy you know like all of this and you get that and then you know, fast forward five, 10 years when open relationship is something that's more discussed and, you know, those things will die down. You just have to realize that whenever you're pushing something that's a little new or a little early, um, you're going to find some of that headwind and not, not stress about it. I mean, that's part of, it's part of leading and it's part of like leading with your truth. And, And I think one of the things that I've always fallen back on is I don't have an agenda, you know, like I talk about like open relationship is one of the hardest things you can do. It's one of the most brutal things I've experienced more deep pain in that than I've in anything in my life. I mean, I've had, I've watched my father go insane. I've had uh, a cousin who was like a brother to me die in a car accident. I've had, I've had bad things happen, but like this pain that you feel in an open relationship is on par with any pain that you'll feel in your life. Like, but also the joy and the bliss and the, Access to a true unpossessive love is also there. And I think same with plant medicine. It can be absolute hell. 24 hours of feeling like you're going to vomit every second and rolling around facing your deepest fears of that you didn't even know existed and thinking you're going to die. And also the greatest bliss and communion with, you know, your highest intelligence, communion with what feels like a higher power or feels like an a, an entity that's come to guide you in in absolute ecstasy. So, I think just opening up that this isn't I'm not an advocate for anything. This is what I've done. This is this is how hard it is. This is how good it is for me. And uh and just being really honest about it is is always what I fall back on.
1: Has that been a trait your whole life to to simply own who you are or was there ever a period where you felt like you were in the quote closet about these beliefs?
2: You know, I, I've always known that um, my purpose was to express my truth, you know, and, and I think I always, I didn't know what that was at a given point. You know, I remember when I was in high school, uh, I moved from California to Texas for high school and I grew up atheist. Um, and I went to Texas and Texas at that point was pretty Christian. And I have a lot of problems with Christianity, the capital R religion still do. Um, I have a lot of respect and admiration for Christ, the mystic and the teacher, but as far as the religiosity of it, I still have problems with it, but I had a lot of problems of it then because I didn't even have the other side. I had none of the spiritual backing and understanding at that point. Uh So all I had was the philosophical invective against, you know, what I saw was abuse of power, utilization of guilt and shame and fear. And I, that I didn't believe in superstition that I didn't believe was true. So You know, I was willing at that point to be like a a Christopher Hitchens figure. That's what I thought I was going to be. I was like, you know, I got to come out and awaken people from, you know, these superstitions and myths that are keeping them locked in shame and fear and guilt unnecessarily. So I was willing to even at that point push against the norm and take a lot of criticism. So I guess that that spirit, that kind of, you know, poets courage is something that I've always had, um, and it's just you know shifted and extended. I'm not you know railing against the, the Christianity anymore because look, I've I've seen how the deepest principles of that have coincided with my own experiential spirituality, and I've just chosen to focus on different battles. Um, rather than that. But, but I guess, you know, to answer that question, it's always been there to a certain degree. Okay. Yeah.
1: I, I imagine it's something we can cultivate too, but I, I, it's, it's interesting that you had a, it sounds like you chose that part of you. It's like, I'm not just, I'm not just going to go with this. I, you know, and I'm also not going to be silent either. If, if this stuff is being imposed upon me, I'm not I'm going to speak up. You talked about some of the, obviously the pain of that that can happen in open relationships the extreme physical discomfort and crazy shit that can happen when, when you're on certain medicines. Um, a lot of folks look at that and be like, it's not worth it. I don't even want to try it. (laughs) Um, and I'm curious in your personality, what was the thing that says, yeah, but this, there's another possibility on the other side. There's another, there's the, the good can outweigh the bad here. Tell me about that. Cause you, you didn't, how you just described open relationships and doing plant medicine would have most people be like, "Fuck that! I'm never doing it." Good. So good. So, <laughs> right?
2: good. That's probably probably a sane move. Um, you know, to me, always again, and it's part of this poet spirit. Like the the only enemy to me is to live in this dull gray monotony where I'm just living in the past, living in the future, not really feeling what I'm feeling. You know, and, and in life, you know, though, that's those are the times where life isn't worth living for me. It's not when I'm in pain or it's not when I'm, when I'm in love, it's when I'm neither, when I'm just kind of floating along and nothing seems to matter. Which is and what most is-
0: people want.
1: They really want to be right, <laughs> right in that middle section where they're medicated and just insulated yeah. from that well, stuff.
2: Maybe they don't know the other way. Maybe they haven't tasted what it feels like to shed all of that and to be so in love that at, at that at any point you could cry tears of joy or laugh With like from the bellows of your soul at the, at the, at the simplest thing, like when you've tasted that and you know how fucking good life can be, then the other is unacceptable and you're willing to go through hell to get the other. And, and I think that's for me, you know, what's been the guiding light. Like I know how good this can be. I know that this life can be heaven. And I know that sometimes to get through heaven, you have to go through hell. And so you embrace the hell because you know what's on the other side. But make no mistake, just because you know it's on the other side and just because you embrace it doesn't mean that hell won't fuck you up. Right. And, and that you'll have to pay the price. So, you know, to me, that's the attitude that I look at. Like anything, anything but the dull, gray, numb, you know, apathetic, slightly depressed life. Like not for me. What was that taste
1: on. What was the taste that you had in an early it, did it come in an early age? What was that so that you had a, a baseline of, okay, here's, here's this, the contrast that life can be, because most of us are just used to playing it right down the middle.
2: Mhm. I think we all naturally get these tastes, you know, where we're just ecstatically laughing, just playing and and just, you know, falling in love with with our first girl and those feelings. And the first time you get to have sex, the first time, you know, for me, you know, a naked girl in front of me and I could touch her. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. You know, Or like, you know, you got, I, we used to get 500, 600 people out to our basketball games pretty regularly and there's chanting your name and you hit a three pointer and the crowd goes crazy and it's like, yes, you know, like we have those moments that, that, that can kind of calibrate that. And I think a lot of times those start to dull out in our life as we get older um, but I think we can all, no matter whether we've done any of the practices that I've done, we can remember those. And then for me, the big watershed moment is I did a vision quest when I was 18, and it opened up that kind of spiritual bliss that I didn't know existed. So I've tasted it in the physical accomplishment, in the lust and love side of things, and I tasted it in the in the spiritual side of things. And it, it really gave me all of the different channels at which I could experience life at that volume and at that level of ecstasy. And, um, from there, you know, I've, I've never wanted to give that up and I never will. You're
1: 18 years old. What's, was that on your radar? Like, Hey, I want to go on a vision quest or was that something, did you have an elder in your life that? No,
2: you know, my father, uh, my father was, you know, for all his challenges, um, that was one of the greatest blessings he ever gave me is, you know, he was, he was a deeply tortured man and he tried many things to help, help his own mind. And, uh, this was one of the practices that he'd used, um, met up with a, you know, a traditional shaman and, and went on a vision quest and, you know, in, in kind of the traditional form of doing that as this rite of passage, you know, he offered that, that practice up to me and I said yes, and I was terrified. And then, uh, you know, 24 hours later, I was a completely new human being.
1: I'm a recovering spiritual and personal development jackass, which means that I've done, I was a a bit of a state chaser, like going for these peak experiences and trying to find these wisdom. And and it was more challenging to live the day-to-day life um, Mm -hmm. and to come back and just be a husband, be a father and and chop wood, carry water kind of thing. Yeah. do you see where does that play in that that part of us that's just like God? Oh, I can't stand being in the middle here. I've got I've got to be going for the next hit of that that experience because I it's intolerable to actually be in the middle. Like you said, is is that does that become another addiction?
2: I think it can. You know, I've seen that. I've seen people who are more comfortable in the uh, astral, you would call it, or in the medicine space, than they are in their life, and that's a sheer sign of imbalance. You know, because the point of these ecstatic experiences is to raise the baseline and enjoyment of your life. Like, otherwise you're missing the point. It's not spiritual escapism, you know, like you can certainly do that. It's the difference between having a cup of coffee and being addicted to caffeine, you know, smoking a joint and being, you know, having to smoke the first time when you wake up because that gets you normal. You know, it's like, there's always different ways that you can push a positive practice to something that's negative. It could be anything sexual addiction, doesn't matter, addiction to, to absolutely everything. And I think it's important to be mindful of that, but make no mistake, the, the, the way the, the reason you're trying to do that is so that every day of your life, you can carry, you know, something close to that octave of enjoyment. And I've seen it, I've seen it happen. You know, I got to spend a week with Don Miguel Ruiz, one of the great spiritual masters and that dude for six days in a row, He would look at the same sunset with the same glass of mediocre wine, and he would look at it like it was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen. It was the first and last sunset he'd ever have, and that glass of wine was the very best thing on the planet Earth. And he was just beaming from every cell of his being. And he could do that repeatedly, day after day after day, and he wasn't senile. He didn't have bad memory. You It was just like he lived that way, and he didn't need to go do peak experiences because he'd done – enough work that his baseline was so high that he was in an ecstatic state all the time. <laughs> you know, and I'm sure he still has his challenges, or whatever. He's human. Right. We're all still human, but his baseline level was at a level that I was like, okay, that's possible. I've seen it now. Like I know it's possible. And I've watched it happen for me as well, you know, where my baseline level of happiness has just increased. I,
1: I'm glad you brought up the escapism thing because I think that um the path can become that if if i get good at these things i won't have to deal with i won't have to feel scared i won't have to feel vulnerable i won't have to get injured there there's a real belief that we're going to be insulated from these things instead of being informed by them it i've seen a i've seen it create fundamentalism i've seen it create extremism uh yeah. you can't eat this way you got to eat this way if you don't there's this like what's the big freaking deal um yeah you're in this space. Obviously, there's, there's, everybody's got an opinion on how we're supposed to eat, how we're supposed to move, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what's, the, what's that look like? How do you, how do you confront that, that fundamentalist mentality or that extremist mentality that, that comes in and says this is the way to do it or else?
2: <laughs> well, that's, a, it's a fundamentally false hypothesis. I mean, we like placing things in buckets of, of, you know, absolutes, and nothing is an absolute. You know, everything is kind of in a, in a gradient. It's all a gray mixed area, but there's general principles and general practices. Like in, in the book, I have nine universal nutrition principles and those principles are generally right. You know, there's going to be exceptions to that. Like generally sugar is not good for you, but if you're running the fucking Moab, you know? For damn sure, you need some sugar, you know, unless you're going and trying to do it purely ketogenic or you have some other strategy in place. But there's mm-hmm. going to be a time and a place to, to make the exception, to break the rule. And, um, you know, I think it's just being mindful of that. But there are largely good practices that work with uh, the system, the human system that we have and the external inputs that we have that are going to match up in a way that typically makes the most sense.
1: I want to come back to this, um, this bit about our inner growth because I've, what I'm taking away from our talk is that it's going to benefit us. The, the more that we develop ourselves and uh, in our, in our interior lives and it's going gonna, it's gonna to help everything else that we're trying to create in the world. We joked earlier on that I know, we know lots of people that have zero depth and zero self-awareness awareness that on the outside look very successful. I know a lot of broke Really self aware people that, that struggle to, hmm. to, to even pay the rent every month. I'm curious because it can seem like a paradox that we could create this thing like, oh, if you want to be more successful in life, then you've got to develop the interior side. But I don't, I don't necessarily buy that com- completely. But I, I think what you're pointing to is a more holistic, like, hey, this is how I'm going to be balanced in life. I'm going to be, hey, I don't even like to use the word success. What do you use? What do you call it when we're, is it just optimized? <sighs>
2: Yeah, optimize is a good word. Uh, balance is another good word. I mean, all, all these words are just approximations for you being you at, at your capability. You know, like, what are you, what is possible for you? Like, that's the only metric by which you can measure. Like, what are you capable of today? What, you, what are you capable of tomorrow?
1: Yeah, what's here to be
2: expressed as me and through me in this lifetime? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's a, that's, a, that's a one of one. That's an N of one study. You know, like there's no other way that you can compare that other than what is possible for you. And, and until you try to level yourself up, you don't know what you're you're capable of. You don't know what's possible for you. And I think you got to try all of the different tactics. And I think a lot of times the ego plays games you know, and the ego's favorite game is superiority. And it only knows superiority relatively. And so it will change the rules of the game in order to maintain this kind of dominance. So if you're, you know, if you value yourself highly for your spirituality or your intellect, then maybe one of the reasons why you aren't even engaging in the gym is because you don't want to admit that the gym is important because your ego can't handle the fact that uh, accepting that someone is better than you in something that matters. So you say, oh, physical fitness doesn't matter. That's just for fucking brutes and meatheads. And, you know, that whole category doesn't even count. So my ego doesn't even keep score with that category. So I'm not even going to engage in it at all. So then you, then you don't engage in it at all. Like we have to be willing to recognize that there's going to be people better than us at everything, but maybe not at anything, but not better than us at everything, not better than us at being us and, and not to try and keep score in these narrow ways. Like, and that's a, that's a great thing that open relationship teaches you because, you know, certainly you'll, you know, if you're in the game long enough, your partner will find somebody who's better than you at pretty much everything. There'll be a wealthier guy. they will be a guy that can kick your ass. There'll be a better lover. There'll be a, you know, there'll be a more better looking guy. They'll be like, and then you have to deal with the fact that, you know, anything that you think is the most important thing that you have, somebody's going to be better than you at that. And that's okay. That doesn't make them better than you as a person. That doesn't make, doesn't mean that your lover's going to leave you for them. You know, it just means they're really fucking good at that thing. Well, you're really good at your other things. You're really good at being you. So, it, it's a good reflection on uh, on that as well.
1: Uh, you know, what I'm taking away is that we can live our lives, create a game that only we can win, where we're dominant, where we're the big yeah. guy. That's a pretty small game, though. If, if, <laughs> it's, right. a ass game. <laughs> it's a tiny game. It's a tiny game. And then there's then there's okay. But what do I actually want to experience in this lifetime? What okay? That means I'm going to go into places where if I'm playing this comparison thing, I'm going to be miserable. I'm just going to be miserable. I'm going to be constantly reminded that I'm not the best and I'm not the greatest guy there. And so I've got this choice. I can confront that pain and have a greater life experience. I think we all get that. Like, yeah, I'll go, like I go to the gym and there's a bunch of middle-aged moms that wipe the floor with my ass. Like they just like, they kick my ass. And I just get, you know, I get over it, but it's like I don't know if I want some other guy with a ten inch dick coming and fucking my wife. So, like,
2: <laughs> and don't get in an open relationship. Don't get in an open relationship. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. If you think that you, if you think that the dick size is the measure of your right. manhood, you're going to get fucked. Right? Because it's going to well, be someone with a couple extra inches. Yeah, yeah, she is. Well, and in doing so, so are you. Yeah, I promise. Just emotionally, not physically.
1: So it's it's finding those areas where we've got like there's a red line for us. Like, okay, I'm willing to go into these areas. And th- but this area is off limits. And what I'm getting about where you're leaning into areas of your life, or just finding those places where, ah, eh, I don't, I don't want that limitation there. Is that is that fit? Is that is that the process that goes through your head?
2: Yeah, anywhere where there's fear, you know, like anywhere where you have fear. And when I'm talking about fear, I'm talking about not self-preservation, you know, not like looking both ways right. before you cross the street, or, or like not holding a spider in your hands. You know, like right. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like fear and the fear that comes from the ego fear of someone being better feel or fear of not being good enough Anywhere where those are, there's there's fear I try to go head first into that area and clean it up because those things they just weigh on the soul, you know And they just occupy brain space and occupy creativity and and keep you from living your most vibrant life and so, you know, I go into those places and sometimes Sometimes the universe forces me into those places, you know, and and What do you mean, how uh, so? Well, like open relationship is an example, you know, like um there's situations that'll come up where I probably wouldn't intentionally, you know, go into the place where I have to confront my attachment to being the best lover, right? Like like somehow in my life I've built a lot of identity around being a great lover you know what i mean and like thinking that i'm the best and i think a lot of guys a lot of guys have this they and certainly then, don't want to be challenged they certainly don't want to be challenged and 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 would i would i willingly let go of that attachment you know willingly let go of my desire to validate that fact with other women and validate that fact with my primary partner with with my fiance. Probably not. But in a situation where she finds an amazing lover, that's ostensibly better than me, then I have to confront that and go like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Like, I really think this is what makes me worthy of love. This thing makes me worthy of love. And I've been afraid all my life that someone was going to be better at this thing than me. And Mm -hmm. then I wouldn't be worthy of love. Like, would you do that on your own? I wouldn't have probably, you know, I would have just continued to hold my ego and say, no, no, I'm the best. I'm the best until you have to actually confront the truth that maybe you aren't the best. And, and that's sometimes, but I've, but I've opened up a system with this open relationship that will categorically challenge it. You know, so it's like I allowed the space for these challenges to occur, but even still, it's not like I went out and chose and chose to, to have that experience of my ego getting crushed, (laughs) realizing that, you know, I'm, I'm not the best lover in the world.
1: One of the things that I notice when I'm in meditation and my mind is wandering, it wanders to a place of defense. Mm -mm. It's defending anticipated threats or just whatever. And it's, it's fucking exhausting. Um, (laughs) how much, The mind, my mind is anticipating where I could be threatened or attacked or confronted or whatever. And so what I'm getting about how you're describing this process is if I
2: quit defending stuff, there's peace. Oh, totally. If you quit defending stuff, you're no longer vulnerable. That's the crazy fucking thing. Like we think we need to defend to protect ourselves, but you surrender to protect yourselves because what you really are are invulnerable. Truly at an absolute
1: level. If we really understand that absolute level, I'm invulnerable
2: at the absolute. I mean, obviously, yes, your skin can get pierced, but again, we're not talking about self-preservation. So we're not talking about, yeah, if you're going into war, like put on the body armor, like I got it, like your skin is sensitive, but we're not talking about the skin. We're talking about the spirit. We're talking about who you really are, like love manifested through a human being. You know, and there's a lot of ways you can say that—love, God, truth, whatever, whatever, however, whatever your lexicon allows. Right. But that thing is not vulnerable. Like, and I think the more we try to defend it, the more we create the delusion that we are vulnerable. The more we armor up and try to compare ourselves and other people to say that we're worth this or that, that's what makes us actually vulnerable because then we have something to lose. But when we realize, like, no, what we really are at the very core is the only thing that really matters and that thing can't be touched it can't be touched by by anybody Mm. and and then so surrendering all of the other positions of defense um emotionally you know makes sense now does that again there's other areas like i use the i use the metaphor of the rose you know like there's going to be people that you want to keep away from you. And so you put up, you'll have thorns, like you'll have to have things to keep people from trampling you. You know, you'll have to protect some of your material things and people will come like, that's all fine. But I'm talking about like the deep emotional stuff, like surrender all that shit and realize how powerful you truly are. Because only in surrender do you realize how powerful you truly are.
1: Surrender usually gets associated with defeat. It, it, at least in our language those words are very closely related and so when i when i've asked clients like what does surrender mean to you and they're just like oh defeat there's no way and, and and they get really strapped into this idea that there's something to defend that there's something to lose that there's a way that i would get hurt the the language you're using is coming from experiences that you've had and from uh, philosophies you've in, taken in that have this another that have a view from a different altitude mm-hmm if a guy is listening to this right now and he's like, what the fuck? I want that. I want that mindset. I want to have an understanding from that place. Where does Is this where, for you, the plant medicines come in is to help you start to really ground yourself and take your seat in that place and do it on a regular basis? Not like, oh, I did that shit on spring break and when I, you know, I was in my 20s and now I'm here. I, I want to hear more about your practice, the things that help you consistently stay in that mindset because it's pretty easy to go yeah. have retreats and then be done.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the the ritual practices, the plant medicines and sweat lodges and uh, things like that. That's Those have been the primary driving factors. Actually, I did a podcast really recently with Tim Kennedy, who's like a, a real life action hero. And he's outwardly conquered everything that there is to conquer. He has a new show coming out where he's like busting out of burning airplanes and like triggering avalanches and surviving and like <laughs> He can conquer. He can conquer any external situation, and he has immense courage when it comes to that. You know, but as far as the the spiritual courage of the other practices, he just doesn't have experience in that. He doesn't have that surrender skill. He has the conquer skill. Well, when you're in an ayahuasca ceremony, and ayahuasca is telling you you're going to die there's nothing, nothing you can do to fix it. It's not because the enemies are bearing down on you and you need to bite your teeth and, you know, find a better defense position and shoot them all away. You have nothing to do. It's coming from within. So the only move in that is to surrender to your death is to be okay with your death and see what's on the other side of it. You know, when you're in a, in a sweat lodge and you know, you're pushing the limits of the heat and the, Air and the the, sp- the prayers in another language and the songs and you, you you know yeah you could run out of the sweat lodge, or you could surrender to the fact that you're going to be okay and trust you know trust in the process. Like if you're in an open relationship and someone and your girl is, you know I think you know the first lover that Whitney had was a fighter and my first instinct was to go and start training to be a be a better fighter. I was like I'm a fucking idiot. You know, like he's always this, her new guy's always going to be a better fighter. Let me surrender my need to be better than him at everything. Let me just let that go mm. instead of fighting and striving and struggling to overcome it. So there's just two ways to do things and both are important. You need the courage that never back down, that dogged determination that I will overcome whatever comes ahead of me, that warrior ethos. But you also need to translate that to the warrior ethos of surrender and like I will surrender to whatever comes at my spirit and attacks those things that I no not longer need, mm. you know, that, that don't really define me. So it's just it's kind of balance of both. And, you know, each different idea is applicable for a different situation. Like if Tim Kennedy's in a burning F-16 jet, surrender is not the right idea. Kick out the goddamn window and get out of yeah. there. Yeah. You know, if you're under enemy fire, surrender is the wrong idea. <laughs> Fucking go, go to the go to your last breath with your shielder on it. Like, fuck, yeah. yeah. But if you're in an ayahuasca, you know, tombow, no, <laughs> don't fight. The more yeah. you fight, the more hellish is going to be. Let go, man. Right. Surrender to what is. Have that ultimate faith. So it's both sides. Yeah. And it can be confusing for people who haven't experienced both sides of the spectrum
1: especially if we're in that fragile place, if we really believe that we're fragile and we really believe that these types of things are going to kill us in a sense, you know, kill us on our identity level, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. it reminds me of one of my coaches. One of the things he said was, uh, only the dead survive. Phil Stutz uh, has been on the show a few times. And, and, and the first time he said it, there was a, it washed over. I remember I, I, was, I teared up when I heard it because there's just a relief of, I don't have to fight the shit that's going to kill me. I, you know, I, Dealt with my mother's death. I, I I didn't deal with it. It finally got me like 13 years after the fact, and it was like I, the train can run me over. i was spent 13 years trying to outrun this fucking train, and it was such a relief to just have it run me
2: over. And that's a beautiful quote, man. Only the dead survive. Only the
1: dead survive, and it really is like when you frame it from that position, where so many guys are playing this pissy little game of I gotta look tough, and I gotta <laughs> right, like it's I can't be weak yeah. at all costs. Uh, we don't have to look very far in our culture for that. Like it, it's just oh, you want real strength?
2: We don't have to look very far outside of our room. We just have to find <laughs> a mirror to see that guy because <laughs> right? we're all that fucking guy. Exactly. You know, like you know, don't don't look externally for that motherfucker. It'll find. you will stare right back at you. Exactly.
1: Face. It'll find it too, right? It'll yeah. find it. Yeah. So I, I just love that. It, it and it takes a, a an an ability to really understand or not understand, but just be willing to deal with paradox. Like to to hear something like only the dead survive and really have it land and like, oh yeah, it's, there's going to be times where where you fight like hell and there's going to be other times where you let, where you let, you let it wash over.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: oh man. I've loved this conversation. Um, all right, let's get into the book a little bit. What, what had you write this book? Why now? What it's, it's an interesting take on it instead of a big 90 day or a hundred day plan or something like that. It's, it's just focused on one day. What's And and to the outside, I can imagine that it's like one day, what's one day going to do for me? So why, why would the one day, what had you write that?
2: Because your whole life is one day, you know, and that's this kind of understanding that all too often we're projecting into the future. And I think all of these plans, they, the plans all contain a, a fallacy and a delusion that keeps us in a certain sense of suffering, which is I'm doing this 40 day plan, and at 40 days, I'm going to be this new thing, and that new thing is going to be happy. I'm going to be that skinny person or that cleansed person or that enlightened person at 40 days. And at that point, I'll be happy. And it's this delaying of the present for some future goal. I'll be lovable then. I'll be, it's a false hope too. It's all bullshit. Right. Every, the process is the only thing that we have. And it, wherever you are in the process is perfect for where you are and you need to enjoy that part. So I wanted to create something that wasn't saying, do all this and then you'll be, then you'll be awesome. It's like, no, be awesome right now from those, that first moment you wake up and you have the morning mineral cocktail to get your light, get your movement, you know, the cold exposure to the breakfast, to the practices, you know, on the way in the car to everything. Like all of this is designed to allow you to enjoy, enjoy life the very first day You start to own the day practice like every minute of it is part of your life. It's not sacrificing now for something later. This is a way to live according to a process that's going to support you for today, tomorrow, the next day. It's not going to borrow from tomorrow to pay for today. It's not going to you know, it's something that you can repeatedly do that will make you a happier, healthier, stronger, more fulfilled human being, hopefully at the end of it.
1: Right. I'm glad you mentioned that because there's so much of this stuff is like one day. All you gotta do is buy into this program and one day you're gonna be there. This this false hope. But it, it really reinforces this thing of you're not there yet. It's kinda like the guys that's, yeah. that's dating the girl is like he's always bitching about her, that he's holding on to who who she could be if she lost a few pounds right. or she didn't <laughs> bitch as much or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I ask him like, Why are you with her? And he's like, it's we come down, and it's like, Oh, it's one day she could be this person. She's not there now. I don't really care about her now, but that's a shitty place yeah. to develop a relationship, which is I don't really accept you now, but I see what you could be. But that's how we treat ourselves, too, is I don't totally.
2: And guess what? As soon as you get to that other place, that's mythical place, it's going to be another false summit and you're just going to do the same thing. You're going to look ahead. Well, now I need to do this. And then you're going to focus ahead to the next thing and focus ahead to the next thing and all this. And then eventually you're just going to die and have never been satisfied with where you are at any point in your entire fucking life good job <laughs> yeah. like that's this idea that that you know we're going to delay our happiness delay our fulfillment delay our life to another point where everything's going to be good it's just false and you know there are going to be periods where we do make additional sacrifices you know times when there's just things that need to get done sprints you know sprints where you're going to be on i'm on a sprint right now you know i'm sprinting with this book i'm sprinting i got 16 podcasts in 8 days or some crazy like that and it's a sprint and i get it and i'm gonna be tired and it's all good but you know in may i got a couple weeks in sedona at my ranch and i'm just gonna hike and hang out and play my flute and chill and and there'll be some balance on the other side and then you know hopefully that'll continue where it just ebbs and flows but this is you know i'm not gonna not enjoy these days either just because it's a grind time like all right enjoy that enjoy Mm enjoy the sprint, you know, enjoy the feeling of your lungs bursting and your eyes a little tired and enjoy drinking a little extra coffee than you should. And, you know, all the things that I'm going to need to do to get it done. And, uh, yeah, that's just kind of the attitude I try to keep.
1: Good. I I like that you brought, you you said sprints, I use the word seasons, right? There's just, there's phases that we go through, but Mm -hmm. again, it combats that mindset that there's a set it and forget it. At some point we're going to get to some place, and we won't have to kick it in the ribs at times we can just fall asleep. And and what I'm taking away from so much of what we're talking about here is uh, that's not there's no if if we're really going to be content, if we're really really going to enjoy our lives, that mindset is the is the thing that's going to create hell for
2: ourselves. Yeah, totally.
1: Okay. Aubrey Marcus, uh check out his podcast, the Aubrey Marcus podcast, and obviously his new book, uh, Own the Day, Own Your Life. Uh the website is ownthedaybook.com. Thank you so much, my man. Yeah, that was fucking awesome, man. Thank you. I had a great time. Thank you.
0: If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.